Hello, and welcome to the Geekiest Podcast, where we sit around and talk to our friends about all things geeky, all the while giving each other geek points to determine who is the geekiest. Welcome to the Geekiest. I'm Joe. My pronouns are he, him. Hey, I'm Kayla, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Will, he, him. And I'm John, he, him. Hi, John. John. Hello, John. So John came to my attention via Facebook when I saw a, a shared story about someone making 5E map, battle maps and encounters based off of the national parks, U.S. national parks, and wow, that caught my attention. Uh, between growing up in South Florida and having Everglades National Park down here, and and Biscayne uh, Biscayne Bay National Park, and then as a kid, getting as a teenager, getting to go see Yellowstone National Park for like five days as a high school trip, uh, the national parks to me are, are pretty damn cool. And then to put the spin of making it for D&D encounters, it had me hooked. And I think it's maybe after I joined the, the Facebook group, I was reaching out to John to get him on the show. So that's, that, that's the origin story of why John is on the show, but it's not John's origin story. So, uh, well, so thank you very much for, for having me on the show. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. And um, so this is part where I'll talk a little bit uh, about an origin story from a geeky point of view. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. I mean, I, I did some, I was looking in your background stuff and uh, we have an incredible person on the show with us, not just for his part in being geeky, but a 25, 25 year uh, member of the United States army. So. Oh, wow. Thank you for your service. Yeah. You're, you're all very welcome. That's cool. So, so before uh, before Army times, I guess I was a kid growing up like everyone else, and and uh, you'll have to give me feedback if you hear this a lot. I think it's probably pretty common, but anyway, my older cousins <laughs> to Dungeons and Dragons. Have you have you all heard that before? It's usually an older relative or something like that, and it's always cool to hear those stories. Mine was the older brother. Yeah, and and they're very much like uh, like older brothers. The way our family turned out is, uh, of my two siblings, I'm the oldest, and there's two years between each of us. So my little sister, then two years, and my little brother, then two years, and me, and then two years, and my older cousin, and then two years after that, um, my oldest cousin. And so they are the ones that introduced us, and we started out with Dungeons and Dragons. But we also did Star Frontiers. If, mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So Star Frontiers, Traveler, Twilight 2000. And I think, you know, some of those games definitely tie into an orientation of me starting to think about uh, the Army, especially Twilight 2000. Uh, and as an aside, I recently backed the Kickstarter for the Twilight 2000 remake, which looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. But, um, but yeah, so... 
so as I was playing these role-playing games with my older cousin, they they got us going. And I guess eventually I I joined the army, but I'll I'll put that on pause for a minute and say uh, I'll tell you my my playing D and D in the eighties story. And so so there I was with a couple of my friends in high school, and we were outside the the school library in like a side corridor in some nook and cranny. And so we're there by the library playing D and D, and one of our classmates, you know, a girl walks up and says, "Hey guys, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons." And she literally screamed, turned around, and ran away. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that was that was that was. Uh, it's not. I mean, it's amazing. You know, nowadays, I sort of uh, got back into it in the end of my army time. And I'm looking around, and there's, you know, actors and actresses and Vin Diesel, mm-hmm. and I mean, there's all this stuff going on. But uh, in in the early '80s, that was that was probably a fairly typical reaction. Yeah, I guess there was a lot of that back then. It definitely was. I I know. Um, also, kind of early '80s started playing, and there was a lot when my parents would you know tell like my aunt and uncle you know what we were me and my brother were doing or you know what our Christmas gifts were. They would get a lot of. Is that? Are you sure about that? Is that okay? Is you know? And actually, that was the late '80s. Doing the timeline in my head a little bit, but yeah, definitely good times. Oh yeah. Um. So so that's that's me getting in into it, and I I really did uh, enjoy it. But then I I guess took a step away from geekiness in some ways. Although I'll tell you a couple of stories about that. So so I decided to join the army. Now part of it. I mean, there was definitely some influences like that. There's also, I call it the Captain Kirk influence. Uh, if if Space Force had been around in uh, 93, I probably would have tried to join Space Force in front of the Army instead of the Army. But, but you know, that was an influence. And then... That's a key uh, point, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. So... <laughs> So uh, Space Force, we could have a whole d- discussion about that, but but maybe another time. But yeah, Captain Kirk's a big influence. And then, of course, I had a uh, Scoutmaster who was an Airborne Ranger. And so that's what I set my eyes on. I was like, okay, well, I want to be like this guy. And so so I, I went off and joined the Army. And uh, honestly, like, I, I stepped away from from role-playing and a lot of uh, the geekier activities during that time period. I've got a couple, I'll tell you maybe three, three army sort of D and D stories, but, but really I put the books down. Like I remember buying third edition D and D and I bought it just to put it on the the bookshelf. Like I was still <laughs> interested, you know, and I was following and trying to be, but I absolutely had no time. I wasn't able to, to do anything. And, uh, so I bought them out of pure curiosity and like read them like a book and never, never gamed with them, which is hugely disappointing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, so I joined the army and so the first one sort of army D and D story is when would this have been? This has been 93. So there I am. Um, I'm at West Point as a plebe. And there's a there's all kinds of silly drills we we had to do, but one is we had to go to formation ten minutes before formation time as the plebes, 
And all the upperclassmen that were interested would come out and grill us on all this knowledge we were supposed to know. Uh, an example like that might be Schofield's definition of discipline. Uh, the discipline which makes the soldiers of a free country reliable in battle is not to be gained by harsh or tyrannical means. And so, you know, there's a little bit of irony to be saying that from memory while while uh, we are getting our inoculation distress. Ah. But but um, one of the activities that I had to do was was memorize the sports page of the New York Times and recite all the statistics to the upperclassmen. And uh, before I went to West Point, I had no interest in other people playing sports. I mean, I, I did it myself in high school. And I was interested in my high school teams and my teammates, but I didn't know any of it. And so I was a disaster. I was bad at memorizing things. And I knew nothing about professional sports, especially New York teams. Like, So I was a disaster, and I was getting just grilled by the upperclassmen all the time. And finally, one of the firsties that's a senior took me aside and it's like, okay, hey, let me, the reason this is important is because later on when you're an officer, it'll be important that you're able to relate to soldiers. And that's something that you can talk about them professionally. It doesn't, doesn't violate uh, fraternization or anything. You can talk to them about sports. So I was like, okay, well, at least there's some rationale behind this. Anyway. Fast forward two days at two decades after that conversation, and I'm the chief of plans of the first infantry division. And when I, you know, some of the soldiers working for me, the thing we're talking about is not the New York Mets, not whatever these professional sports teams are, but how their barracks campaign went over the weekend. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, that's awesome. So what you're saying is your your foray into statistics was perfect for for uh, for for three then. Yeah. That's a geek point. Yeah, that's funny how that works. <laughs> but very popular. I think uh you know the role playing games absolutely very popular. And even on deployment with uh soldiers that had uh, the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, a former guest we had on uh Morgan um he told stories about uh, he was in the uh, Air Force and told stories about, you know, running, running some games while, you know, on base deployed uh, between shifts. So, yeah, he was uh, he was like, you wouldn't believe the, the, the number of, of, of role playing game gamers that are, you know, in uniform. Quite a few, for sure. Um, and, and don't feel bad about buying the books just to, to have, I, when I, right before I moved to New York, I purchased, uh, world of dark, uh, white wolf did the new world of darkness. Please will don't cringe too badly. <laughs> I, I'm not. Um, and so I, I got the, the world of darkness, like just the straight book plus vampire. I forget what it wasn't the masquerade anymore. It was something else. I got the oh, vampire. There. There are what? three books. Yes. You have Anarch. Did you get Anarch? No, no, no. When the New World of Darkness came out, it was the replacement title for the Masquerade. It was Vampire the Requiem. I've heard of that, but I've I've never played Vampire. Okay, so you're talking the iteration before the la- the, the latest one. Yes. 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 Okay. Yes, that would yeah. be the Requiem. Yeah. So I bought the Vampire the Requiem. I bought whichever was the Werewolf book that went with that, and uh, Mage that went with that read all of those books 
never played them at all and they just stayed on my shelf they are very pretty covers but yeah i, I guess that's that's the way it goes sometimes but uh yeah definitely role-playing games are well and honestly i've never quite understood the phenomena of of watching other people uh play it i did uh and I mean, I I really uh, I'm losing my mind here. I'm going to lose a geek point if I can't think of of uh, of these guys. But you know, Matt Mercer and his critical crew, role, critical role, right? Critical role. <laughs> so um, so you're talking, I, you're talking to a critter. <laughs> so I'm watching yeah. uh, one. I like and I watched their little half an hour special with Vin Diesel. I was good with that. But I tried watching one of their, you know, regular four-hour sessions, and and I just couldn't take it. I really appreciate what they've done for the hobby; it's fantastic. Um, but, but yes, yeah, I I like the books for actually playing, and the game for actually for playing. Yeah, I I, I was the same way before Critical Role. Um, a friend of mine was like, "Oh my God, you got to catch this." Uh, I think it might have been only a podcast at the time, but it was Acquisitions Incorporated. Um, and they were running fourth edition D D. And I was, I remember saying to my friend, I was like, this is, you know, we used to do the six to twelve hour marathon game sessions. I was like, I don't, I don't know about listening to other people play D D. And then I got hooked. Um, <laughs> and then I started recording my own. So uh, but no, I totally get I totally get that. And uh, as, as our listeners know right now, uh, I, I've been doing a bit of driving for Uber Eats. And uh, when I'm on shift, I am listening to the podcast version of Critical Role. I am happily to say I'm almost done with campaign one. <laughs> that That's neat. Well, so I, I uh, I've seen statistics where people speculate that that as many people or more people uh, watch or listen or consume like the work that you guys are doing uh, with your live play and the critical role is doing as actually play it. And, and while I don't, again, I, maybe not for me, but I really, really appreciate it. I, 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 great... I, I, Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, one, thank you. Um, but I think it, if anything has been responsible for the success of D&D, where we can talk about it, we can, you know, you, you can have, you know, uh, community doing shows about, you know, do two episodes about it. You can have, you know, Vin Diesel. I, the funny thing is, I remember, like, at the 30th anniversary for D&D, Vin Diesel was on Conan O'Brien uh, when Conan had the show after Jay Leno. and talked about writing the forward to the 30th anniversary book and about his character and everything. And Conan kind of, you know, played it for laughs. And now you have say Stephen Colbert has on, you know, has on a guest and they've mentioned they like D and D and he is just straight hardcore, you know, well, what's your favorite class? What's your favorite, you know, mm -hmm. and he's not, he's not playing for laughs. He's, you know, serious on it. So, Joseph, I think you get a geek point just for recalling Vin Diesel's uh, appearance on which show followed which show from memory. So, <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Joe's incredible memory always gets geek points. But yeah, it, it, it's fun when people go on to Colbert and want to and, and want to try and throw down game. 
and uh, <laughs> challenge him in geekdom and just get absolutely handed. Didn't what did, what did he say to? Was it was it uh, Jason Momoa or Joe Manganiello or one of those where he was like, "You better know you you might be better looking than me, but I'm geekier than you." Yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite was uh, was that the uh, James Franco came on. He's like, "Oh, I've been you know rereading Tolkien. I just finished the Cimmerillion. You know, what are your thoughts on the Valar?" And Stephen Colbert just turned around. He's like, "Well, which one do you want to talk about?" And then like went through a list of like a dozen. <laughs> So you need to get him on. (laughs) We're working on it. Can can, uh, get more geek points then. Oh, no. I I, I would concede the geekiest to him. Yeah, like immediately. (laughs) He won't come on the show if you don't at least challenge him. This is true. That that might be the way to get him on the show. (laughs) Well, uh, I'll I'll throw out a cold bear and a geek off. Ooh. Maybe I'll, the I'll three be here. Like, can be a team of pulled points versus his. <laughs> right, right. Like we would all have to team up against him to beat him. But I'm, You'd I'm have down. To spot us like ten points. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just be real. He'll have to spot us ten points. <laughs> Sounds like fun to me. And we'll still lose. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like going one on one with Jordan in the backyard basketball game. <laughs> you spot me 19 points i'm still gonna lose <laughs> so so you learned in the military very quickly that there's other things to talk about than sports well yeah me in, in some some ways i mean honestly i from i was very very focused on on army stuff while i was in the army uh in fact you know most of the time when i was on operational assignments i did I didn't do any gaming or or any really great geeky ho- hobbies. I was focused on army stuff. A uh, one exception to that was was the army likes to rotate us through through all these schools and so I got to go to uh Fort Leavenworth, Kansas for uh, a year at the staff college and then later on a year at the basically staff college part 2 school of advanced military studies. Um and so th- when I was in quote unquote army school I was able to step back into some, I guess, more personal recreational hobbies or whatnot and spend some time. Um, I, I lived away from the Army Post in Kansas City, and, and uh, I think technology was starting to make a, a difference then. Uh, you know, fourth edition had big technology ambitions. It sort of fell short on mm-hmm. it. But, but at least, you know, meetups and finding people to game with online was really coming alive. And so I went to a meetup at the Kansas city library for, for D and D and made a whole bunch of, you know, D and D friends and uh, got the hobby going in person then for those two assignments. Uh, and I just want to mention those friendships are fantastic. So my buddy Joe uh, is bringing his family up to visit us later this week. And, you know, we're going to hang out and be visiting for, for a week or so uh, here in a few days. And we became friends, you know, I mean, Joe has nothing to do with the army whatsoever. He's, uh, he's in the car transportation industry, but anyway, we met playing D and D in Kansas city, uh, you know, a decade plus ago or whatever it was. And so, uh, just some great friendships from, from that time that really, really lasted. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the gamer friends tend to tend to stick together. Yeah, and it, and it was a good way to, to, for me at least, to just get out of the pure military click and circle and and uh, uh, be outside of it. Um, and then a lot. Another thing I'll mention: so technology continued to progress, and Rule Twenty came onto the scene. I guess it was technically a while ago now, but that was that was neat too because then at the end of my career, I was actually uh, with Rule Twenty able to in a regular assignment you know give give it a go because i could log on at night and i could be playing with people that were dispersed and i could be wherever and so that was good uh and i did a and i really at that point when i started that campaign um you know found some people on the roll 20 forums and joined someone's campaign uh, i didn't really think that you could form a real friendship that way but boy is i wrong you know uh i i Felt by the time that thing ended three years later, I felt really close to the the DM, and uh, and I did a. It was interesting because we started a campaign, we we're going strong. I took a nine plus month uh, hiatus when I went to Afghanistan. I came back and joined it again afterwards, and all the players had changed. Um, but it's still a, a great time with with uh, that gentleman, and so. That was sort of eye-opening to me, the idea that like you could actually make real friends uh, through online activities. But but I definitely had that experience. That was something that I, I didn't figure out till later on in life as well. You know, and I think some of us, especially like our generation, we grew up, you know, more playing outside and making friends organically, uh, you know, just through the people that you're interacted with. So the whole online thing, I, to me, felt weird, you know, to, to be able to make friends that way. Um, I mean, the newer generations, that's just how they do it, you know? Yeah, uh, it's a no-brainer for them. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's in their DNA. It's crazy, but yeah, you know, as, as, uh, as Gen Xers, as they call us, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a learning process to get to that. I mean, I tell you what, when we, when we went to online stuff, you know, because of the, because of the, the pandemic, um, it took me a bit. To, to be okay with it. It was very awkward. Well, honestly, I, I didn't recover that. So I had a, a great in-person campaign going, uh, meeting at Garrett's house every other Monday, and we just had a blast. And then, you know, pandemic hit, we went to online, and we just couldn't uh, replicate it, and so it died out. Now, separately, uh, I was doing another online campaign with my family, who's all dispersed, and that kept going because it, it was sort of like, family reunion time plus gaming mixed in but but that was one of the triggers which got me thinking about 5e inspired by the national parks well which is all digital content so there's nothing nothing physical about it is is how can how can we make online gaming a better experience and i think there's a lot of potential that's that's not regularly used um and, and, you know, for example, what, so a couple of things I'm playing with is uh, a short video for each park, uh, the voice acted box text, and some of those things, which, you know, there's these other capabilities that technology has, computers have, and uh, it, it might add something to, to the experience. Yeah, I, I, I... I know we barely scratched the surface of because that's what we use. We use Roll Twenty for, you know, for our, our virtual tabletop. And I know, as the DM, I'm barely scratching the surface. I my 
my good friend Ryan. He's been using Roll20 for years. Um, he started running games when he moved to uh, Medellin, uh, Colombia, and but he still wanted to play D and D with and and you know he started using Roll20 and uh, and he's the one who finally you know convinced me to give it a shot. And then when the pandemic hit, I was glad he did because I wasn't starting out brand new. But it is, yeah, there's a lot of features to it and and the other tabletops i know we had uh the fantasy grounds college guy on not too long ago and i know they had there's a lot of functionality there that you probably don't we probably don't ever touch yeah and and i'm a big uh fan of shard tabletop and they're they're uh continuing to improve and roll out things uh, i mean it's pretty new but but i have really enjoyed uh implementing my my sort of draft module on there um but, you know, some of the things, so, like, if we were all sitting in person, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm pretty comfortable with doing theater of the mind or, or, or whatnot, but it's, it's hard to describe the value of being able to see the other person's face, the body language, to being, you know, that in-person experience. Um, and even, even when you're using video in conjunction with, with uh, online tabletop, I, I think you lose a lot of that. Um, and so there's some simple things that you can, that I think help a lot. One is an immersive map. And I'm just amazed that uh, Wizards has, you know, who I consider, the, who are the sort of big gun with with all the financing, that, that they've gone to sort of black and white sketch maps. Um, and I realize there's something behind that artistic style, but at least on virtual tabletop, I find it very lacking for immersion. No, I, I can totally see that. I, I have not had any experience with using any of their uh, their virtual tabletop uh, modules. I know for Roll20 and for Fantasy Grounds, you can get the actual, you know, you buy the Candlekeep, you know, Candlekeep Mysteries uh, packet and you get all the maps associated. But I haven't actually, you know, played with any of those. So, yeah, that's interesting that they're going with, you know, black and white or, or, you know, I was going to say monochrome, but that's technically not monochrome. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that lacks something that, that you, that you need in these times of, you know, selling that this is, you know, that this is something scary, but you know what, that's what they're doing in the books too. Right. I mean, that's their, the virtual tabletops are pretty much a straight, you know, out a port of their books or whatnot. Um, and it's not all their stuff. I mean, Curse of Strahd has incredible maps and, and whatnot. Um, but, but, you know, many of their, it looks to be, I don't have it, but just looking at the, the preview, it looks like uh, Candlekeep Mysteries does not have color maps. It has the, you know, the black and white hash mark <laughs> maps, which is hugely disappointing. But anyway, so that's, it's one of the things they definitely focused on to tr as far as national parks go is a, you know, these things are going to be inspired by the national parks using full color to try and bring, bring that real world inspiration onto the, the to the tabletop. Mm -hmm. What, so, what started, go ahead, Joe. No, you're, you're asking the question I was going to ask. So go ahead. <laughs> Uh, my question was going to be, um, what what started your love for national parks? Where did that where did that come from? Where'd you get 
get that and then subsequently the idea to to use those specifically well i've you know so back back in uh i guess all the way back to high school just being interested in in scouting i really loved outdoors i mean i didn't the reason i joined scouting was because i wanted to go camping and and as I mentioned before, that's where I, I met that scoutmaster who was an airborne ranger and, and got me interested in all that. But but that was certainly a big motivation for joining the Army, too, is to be able to continue to do, you know, to work in the outdoors. And uh, uh, and I got to <laughs> actually I got to do more of that than I really wanted to. But, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, you don't go camping in the Army. It takes away the Army definitely finds a way to take away. uh all that sort of enjoyment, but um, but uh, but I love the outdoors. And on the backside, out of the army, I've got a young family, young kids, and I just love getting them out and doing things. Um, and then so there's you know social distancing had a lot to do with the inspiration. That one is I lost the in-person campaign as I talked about. I was thinking how could we have made this better, and that was part of the inspiration. But the other was just like boy, we're penning up in the house, social distancing, I really wish we could be out doing this, that, or the other. And, and so that's where it sort of brought the two together. Like, wouldn't this be great? I'd rather be running around a national park right now. Hey, when at least we can role play that we're doing that. So one of the silver linings of the pandemic, we're seeing, we're seeing a few of those. Yeah. There, there's, there's some, I guess some, some good ones. Um, it's good to hunt the good stuff. We we should definitely look for those silver linings. That's what we try to do. Um, do you uh, talk to me about your favorite park? What's what's the one you love playing with and and mapping out the most? Well, the only one I've actually done anything with right now is the Badlands, and the reason I chose the Badlands is because I went to it. I took the family last summer. That was a a good sort of social distancing vacation, and. Uh, you know, Wind Cave National Park, when you're not allowed to actually go in Wind Cave, there's there's almost no one there, right? Like, that was a great <laughs> social distancing uh, vacation, too. Um, Badlands, same way, pretty pretty spread out. So, uh, so we went to the Badlands. It was, it was, you know, gorgeous and awesome. And I was sitting there uh, watching my, my kiddos try and climb up those cliff faces and whatnot. And as you look at those things... They have all these dark crevasses, and it looks like there should be caves. There's, there's not actually any caves there, but it looks like there should be, if you stand back and sort of look at the landscape, there should be all these caves in the side of everything. And it just made me think of all the possibilities. And, and so that was, that's my prototype, is the Badlands. And uh, yeah, it's a, it, it was a lot of fun to think about, hey, what's the, what's the fantasy backstory to this? Now, the I let the backers vote on which ones we're doing, and they picked some wonderful ones. Yellowstone I've been to fairly recently. The rest I have not. Um, I guess I get uh, went to Bryce Canyon a few years ago. So I'm interested in doing them all, and they're all very diverse. But of the upcoming ones, I don't particularly have a favorite. I'm actually taking the family to Pacific Northwest this summer. And so you know, secretly I was hoping that we would get uh, North Cascades or or Olympic or Mount uh, Rainier, uh, you know, national parks in it, but they didn't quite make the make the cut. 
well, you know, I mean, you are the creator. You can still do the ones you want to do, too. <laughs> well, I, I can, but but uh, they're all set now. However, if if things turn out well and it's well-received, then there's always round two. There you go. There, there will be round two, and you will get to do more. <laughs> Is uh, just out of curiosity because it's my favorite. Is uh, Zion in there anywhere? Uh, well, certainly. I mean, it's absolutely one of the sixty-three national parks. I I would love to do it. It did not. It did. It did not stand out on in the in the backer voting uh, particularly, and and I have no idea why. You know, right? Uh, <laughs> like, hey, but there's so many. I mean, honestly, it's hard to go wrong. Like, it would have been. I would have been sort of perplexed if a whole bunch of people had had uh chosen um the the arch in st louis forgetting the official name but you know that's just this weird man i mean it's a cool arch but it's just yeah. this weird man-made arch in in st louis <laughs> um so if that had been chosen i'd be like what what is going on here but the rest of them you can see are are pretty pretty fantastic and diverse set of uh terrain so the ones that were picked were were yellowstone which actually has incredibly diverse terrain i'm focusing in on the thermal features because it's so unique oh yeah but then everglades bryce canyon which uh, a lot of the southwest parks have really awesome things but those hoodoos in bryce canyon are otherworldly i mean you look at them and of course there's a absolutely real natural process of why they formed but you look at them and and just like hey what uh what ancient magical right created is or there's all kinds of interesting fantasy explanations mm-hmm. that can be applied and uh then great sand dunes and and which is another one that's fascinating how the barrier i mean you go from from on um, two-thirds of the sides there's mountains Okay, that makes a little sense. And then the rest, there's this, there's these two creeks basically that box it in, and it's just an amazing transition from grass and plains to, hey, we cross a creek, and in front of us are the largest sand dunes in North America. You know how that happened? So there's a, I'm sure, an interesting fantasy explanation for that that real world phenomena. Uh, and then it, I think you mentioned at the beginning of this, the sequoias. And those things are largest trees in the world. So yeah, that's oh my god! If anything would get me to LARP, it would be that. <laughs> yeah, run around Sequoia National Park in the yeah right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's interesting that you mentioned like the um the diversity of the parks and kind of the geological history of why they are the way they are. Um, and it's it it occurs to me as interesting as someone who likes to world build. Um, that that kind of geological history could, would, and probably has been used as uh, part of storytelling within, you know, within your games. Um, but I don't think it has been used as much as it should or could be. And something like this with national parks who just are the epitome of displaying those things could bring more to that does that make sense yeah absolutely so in one sense i don't think there's there's anything original in this i mean people 
have always used real world in their inspiration for storytelling and for you know fantasy gaming. I mean, when you look at uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings is incredible and it's fantastic, but uh, and even though he I think denied it in uh, the preface to his second edition, it is absolutely you know Mordor is absolutely based on his World War One battlefield experiences, and so uh, so Tolkien. Uh, as a as a lieutenant in the British Army, in and an infantry officer at that, uh, saw some some pretty hard things there in World War One, and that inc- totally influenced his fantasy writing, his storytelling, his descriptions of Mordor and that terrain. Uh, and so, anyway, my point is nothing new in using the real world for inspiration. And I think we could look at all kinds of, of fantasy stuff and D&D stuff that's done it before. All I'm doing is calling it out a little bit more specifically and saying, hey, this right here, put my finger on it. This, no kidding, is the source of inspiration. And that's very cool. You found some, something that was needed in the community. And, and, and you're doing something about it. Yeah, and it's fun. And, uh, and sort of to report what you're saying, Kayla, I, I am going to work in some explicit uh some of that explicitly so that so that you i want to call it a campaign of learning so most people show up and they play D for the campaign of adventure and we're very familiar with that but for the campaign of learning i'm i'm playing a sort of explicit metagame to try and incentivize folks to do a little bit of reading on the parks. And so generally between sessions, a DM will put a few hours in preparing, but but players don't really do that much. And so what I'm looking at is a little bit of a curated reading, podcast, movie, whatever list that that contains information about the parks that if they know it would actually, their characters in the game can be able to use it. A very simple example is that, so we talked about those thermal features at Yellowstone, well, the mud pots are very acidic. And if a character just walks into the mud, mud pot on the battle map, then they'll take acid damage. Um, it's very acidic. But if the, if the player does his quote-unquote homework, and that's a terrible analogy, but does his homework and does some of the reading before the session, they'll actually know, hey, mud pots are acidic and have that the you know, and they may play their character a little bit more wisely. <laughs> no, I love that. That's that's really cool. Um, you know, I have seen I have seen some DMs, uh, you know, like in the moment, go, okay, roll for like a, a history check or something to set, to see if you know anything about the lands, you know, that that you're working in, or that you would know that that is acidic without accidentally sticking your foot in it kind of a thing um yeah i love i love that too and some of that homework could be unlocked by those by a successful skill check um so i'll have a plan and prepare the the army's operations process is plan prepare execute assess but anyway so i'll write in a plan and prepare portion of it where they they uh, get their hook get assigned the mission, get their hook, whatever it is, and have an opportunity to do some research 
uh, and preparation for the place they're going. Um, and so definitely, I mean, nature, history, but I think there's creative ways to bring almost every skill, tool, maybe not every character ability, but many character abilities into that so that different uh, players can can do something meaningful to to plan and prepare before before going out and jumping into that battle map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Encouraging players to research before they go running into something. Novel concept. That's a key point. Yeah. Wait, and, that's a it, that's a thing. Are you yeah. Sure? No, I'm pretty Apparently. sure you just, you just run blindly and say, "Well, we hope that the healer can keep up." <laughs> and and uh, I'm sure you know. It, right, it's all it's all just a bunch of tools. Uh, some groups will will absolutely play that way, and you know they'll they'll get to to take mud acidic mud pot baths. There you then, go. Hey, that. That pond is beautiful colored. Let's go dip into it. Well, now you're going to take, you know, D10 fire <laughs> damage because that water is, uh, you know, just slightly under boiling. And give me a constitution save. Yeah. And... <laughs> we know how that goes. <laughs> I was thinking uh, the, that, the, the name of it just fell in my head, but the very beautiful uh, pool in Yellowstone that idiots keep tossing coins into. You know, I remember going as, going in high school and, you know, first thing Ranger on the tour is like, that water is at, you know, X amount of degrees. It will, you know, it will burn you before you even have a chance. Yeah, it's, that's, uh, it's awful. People are tossing uh, coins into it. And so here's a little piece of trivia. Basically, that phenomenon that you describe is what led to the creation of the Park Service so Yellowstone, being the first park, Yellowstone was having a, a problem <laughs> with people poaching, like taking souvenirs and basically defacing it. And as you said, throwing coins into the, into the, you know, the hot pools. And uh, so they assigned in a cavalry unit to guard and protect, uh, protect it, which they did for a while. And then the first park rangers were soldiers from that cavalry unit and uh i can testify that the current the, the actual barracks at fort riley kansas which was an old cavalry post are are almost identical and historic fort riley are almost identical to the national park service headquarters up at yellowstone which was originally also built as a cavalry post Oh, well, that's a knowledge drop geek point for sure. I, I, I do remember um, it was our last day in Yellowstone and they hiked us up one of these, you know, let's have the kids from Florida go, you know, who are already suffering at altitude. Let's have them go on a, you know, a, a 3000 foot elevation climb. Uh, but they took us to a spot where before the park had been established, people were sinking pipes into the 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 geothermal uh under the park infrastructure to make like natural jacuzzis or whatever and uh the the actual natural uh feature that was near it went from being as regular as old faithful is which has been getting less regular lately um to being so intermittent that like the rangers can't tell you if it's going to, you know, if it's going to, if the geyser is going to occur today, next week, 
10 years from now. And if, even if it does, it might just bubble up a little bit, or you might get a, you know, 15, 20 foot shot. And it's like, you know, I, it's one of those things where I am so glad uh, that we did make that move to preserve the, you know, diverse, unique, uh, natural wonders that, you know, this rather con- rather large continental spanning country uh, has part of it. It's uh, it says a lot uh, when when someone did say, you know, versus, you know, I'm sure the economic interests of the time that, hey, you know what? You know, this this area is special and we need to preserve it. Yeah, I really love the idea that that, you know, I'm going to. So my dad took me on camping trips when I was a kid. Um, I'm taking my kids now. And I, the idea that that my children will be able to take their children to the same national parks and it's going to be well preserved and cared for is fantastic. I, I think you're right, Joseph. That's just just great that uh, that that we do that and it is a worthwhile sacrifice um now as a quick aside on so so on geysers the difference between a hot spring and a geyser is a constriction in the plumbing and unfortunately uh so people messing around with it definitely increases the chance of messing up that constriction and changing the plumbing but really every time yellowstone or any geyser blows could be its last or it could forever change it because if if all the pressure that builds up and is then re- then released messes up that constriction or widens it or changes it, mm-hmm. then the whole cycle will change. It, now it's pretty amazing uh, that that you, that old faithful is has been so faithful for so long, but as its constriction changes, it will yeah, it'll change. The the other thing, especially about Yellowstone, you know, is uh, I remember we were in the we were in the old faithful basin area. And the park ranger showed us the uh, the seismo- se- seismometer. That's not the right term. Um, where they, yeah, that's probably correct. Where they were showing us like how many, you know, just how frequent they even the, you know their minor earthquakes are not, you know, the ones you know your, your California ones you see on TV, but just like how much seismic activity is going on within the park from all their reporting locations and. And that's when then they do the presentation on the, you know, super volcano caldera belief b- below the park. And that's going to destroy the world. I, you know, oh, I, sorry. That was just my fanfic. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I remember the park rangers. It wasn't so much uh, is going to destroy the world, but definitely is going to reshape a, a lot of a lot of territory. Um, but we now know that that's really just uh, a, a really strong fire primordial that's underneath the park. That's right. Um, See, now I, you had to go and ruin it. Now the men in black are going to show up at the house and we're all going to be in trouble. <laughs> Way to go, Joe. That's a geek point, Will. I, 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 just, I just started taking notes for my game. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, the thing that I love, John, it, it, the thing that I love about this is, I, I, know, I know you adapted this for 5e, but realistically, you could, you could polish this into every gaming system available out there from mind's eye to uh, a new vampire of the masquerade you could bring in werewolf you could bring in rifts you could realistically you could bring this into every gaming aspect that's available yeah i think the 
the lots of it has great drag and drop potential. I mean, the battle maps, whatever you you want, you know, how whatever game world, whatever system, it's just a you know Sequoia National Park battle map is going to be hey. You could drop it in as a huge tree grove in any forest you want. Uh, I'm, I'm, of course, limited. You know, my bandwidth is only so much. So I chose a system, uh, the most popular system, to do monster stat blocks in. But beyond monster stat blocks, uh, and I guess some skill checks, you know, statting the skill checks or whatever, it's it's pretty system, you know, as, as you said, Will, you can use it for anything. You just have to, to figure out your own stat blocks. And I guess for the maps, you know, uh, maybe eventually do it for hex for our wargaming friends. So the the maps have a hex version. Okay uh, then. <laughs> yeah. And, there you go. <laughs> and you gotta look. I guess there's some scale stuff depending on what what you're you're doing with it uh, because it is going to be you know. So one day GM is a fantastic artist. He's the one that's going to make these maps final and whatnot. Um, and it's doing it to a traditional. Uh, hex or whatever square one square is five feet you know sort of mm -hmm. D, &D whatnot um and then the hex just gets overlaid on that uh and some would scale pretty pretty well but a, a lot of war games obviously want uh, a little more distance in their in their hexes uh, go ahead Jeff. Oh, so the other thing i wanted to to bring up and it was it's one of the uh add-on two of the add-on uh, products for the, the the Kickstarter that you had running was uh, access to your uh, Sun Tzu ponders Afghanistan, uh, and I want to attempt that name for the the other one. Thucydides. Thucydides ponders Afghanistan. Um, so beyond the five E maps, uh, John also has his his company, the Basement War Room, um, and. These these are a few of the things that he has, you know, done uh, as uh, you know under that banner. Um, so fantastic name for that, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just throw another point on there for that that naming. That that's very cool. Go ahead, Joe. But, so I was just I was just wondering the 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 Sun to the, the the pondering series here. What what was you know I I mean I kind of got an idea what the the inspiration was, but what is you know what was what was the inspiration for for these two military thinkers going over uh, modern insurgency? Well, so uh, so first, I'll just do a quick aside here. I I am sitting down in my basement war room doing this uh, podcast with you right now. Um, so that's where I am. There is unfortunately no door to just a staircase that goes up to the first floor, and so you can. See the kids are uh, a little upset after after soccer practice, or you could probably hear that. So I apologize for that. Totally but, uh, fine. But um, but yeah. So, one uh, of my I, I have a lot of hangups with the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, but one of them is that is that we I think as a nation sort of specked and dumped the lessons of Vietnam. I I went through the the pleasure of sort of relearning those lessons in combat in Afghanistan. And and I think it's, you know, in spite of the Vietnam generation's very diligent effort to record them. So whether it was soldiers, academics, journalists in written form and, and even in movie and TV shows, but but certainly in books and professional journals and all that kind of stuff, the Vietnam War is extremely well documented 
And and there's no real reason that we as a nation should have, should not be familiar uh, with with the lessons of Vietnam. Uh, despite that, we we boldly repeated most of the mistakes of Vietnam in Iraq and Afghanistan. At least that's my perspective. And and so I was doing a couple things there. One with those series is that that I was looking for a another medium because I I think a number of my peers and and other folks are doing the books and the journals on Afghanistan and Iraq. And so by going with, for a video series, I was trying to find a, a more engaging medium that would hit it from a different angle. Now, unfortunately, engaging, you know, me, me basically giving a lecture in front of a whiteboard might miss the mark on engaging a little bit. But the, the core idea here is I take these classic military theorists, Sun Tzu, and uh, Thucydides, and and read their text chapter by chapter, and then apply it to my experiences in Afghanistan for what are the key takeaways. Um, now, you mentioned, hey, okay, so these are 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 ancient theorists, but you know, do they have anything to say about modern warfare? And so, you know, they don't have anything to say about space force, which we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. They don't have much to say about uh, dominating space or air forces, but they they absolutely have a lot to say about about the human dynamics of warfare. And so Thucydides, oh, I'd say it's book six ish, um, but he writes about the Civil War, the Revolution, and Corsara. And and the the how terrible uh, the actions of people are, and the how outside pl- powers playing into this affect it, and it is absolutely timeless. And so, you, know, I, I happen to be reading that at the same time as sort of the Capitol riots and whatnot, and I, I felt like Thucydides was describing what I saw on TV happening in front of me. And I use that example because it's probably more relatable for everyone, not to mention what I personally experienced in Iraq or Afghanistan, but just the dynamics of that uh, riot that the United States of America was going through in our capital. I think Thucydides' text and what he writes about uh, revolution absolutely applies today. So... So yeah, it's 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 very interesting, very applicable, and I I think uh, you know worth taking a, a a look at for application to to modern scenarios. I I know I've heard a lot of folks say you know that you know when talking about you know the war wars of the future are not going to be you know the the wars that we you know that was planned for in like the fifties you know, two large, you know, two large armed forces, you know, open fighting, that it's, it's always, it's going, that the way things are going, it's always going to be asymmetrical, that it's not going to, you know, it's going to be a bigger power versus a smaller power. And, you know, it just, I mean, and it's one of those things, like you're saying, like learning from history. I mean, you could even look back to like the Revolutionary War, you know, a lot of the, the, the continental fighting was not done in the, you know, traditional British, you know, your continent, you know, European, you know, 
everybody line up, take your shot, you know, reload, take your shot. You know, it was about, you know, they've, they had the number advantage. We have to move quick. I, and I think a lot of it just comes back to the, the human condition because in so much as the classic theorists talk about human dynamics, it totally applies today. Again, you know, space and, and air forces and modern technology. No. And, and honestly, you know, uh, Thucydides does a history. Sun Tzu does a lot of, of, of short prescriptive statements of truth. And so some of the times the way he's describing how to cross a swamp or something may be very influenced now by technology and not as applicable, but he, he does a lot of other things that are very applicable. And so he talks about a little bit, Sun Tzu talks about why the dynamic of why soldiers desert uh, when they're fighting in their home territory. Uh, and at first I thought like, absolutely not, doesn't, doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine the United States army deserting if it was fighting to defend America in the United States, like does not compute, makes no sense. But then overseas, uh, <laughs> the Iraqis uh, went AWOL all the time. I mean, they, they deserve it, deserted all the time. And, and so Sun Tzu's writings came home and sort of illuminated that. Um, and as a quick, quick aside, it had nothing to do with Iraqis having bad character or being poorly trained or a lot of the things that we initially ascribed to why they're deserting. It had to do with how they were paid. They were paid in cash. The country was in the middle of a civil war. The soldiers had to get the cash back to their families or the family with, would die, right? Like, mm -hmm. and so there's no online banking or anything like that set up. And so the soldier had to physically get the cash back to his family without being killed by the insurgents. And so it was, it was a whole mess, but, but, uh, but yeah, the human, human condition hasn't changed. Um, and to bring this back to D and D real quick, cause I, cause I, Hey, thanks for, for riding the tangent with me. Um, so down the road, uh, in what I'd like to do, I mentioned that, you know, me lecturing in front of a whiteboard maybe wasn't as engaging as I'd like to be. Well, Dungeons and Dragons is very engaging. And so I have a long-term goal of, of writing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. It's a metal floor for a one-year tour in Afghanistan. And I'm gonna, I'll take the, that campaign of learning to the next level where, yeah, it, it's got a, a level of applicability for national parks, but there's, there'll be a whole bunch of, hey, podcasts, articles, books, whatever, quote-unquote homework that players can do between sessions that will really help their, their characters perform better as counterinsurgents in the campaign if they do the homework, incentivize them to learn, and, and, you know, my basic theory here is that, hey, most uh, members of Congress are college graduates. Many college students play Dungeons and Dragons. Therefore, if I write a 5e campaign that teaches about insurgency, 20 years from now, we'll have a Congress that's far more educated about that phenomena. And hopefully we will not repeat the mistakes of Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq 20 years from now. So that's the that's the the theory right there. One I love that I love that title the the campaign uh, that that campaign title is uh, that's a geek point right there. 
Uh, oh, I just I, added like three just for that okay. whole tangent. So just one, yeah, one more. I mean, I, as a as a former uh, teacher, I I love the idea. I wish I wish when I was teaching, I had been able to uh, bring D and D into into the classroom setting in some way. But uh, I was I was teaching a special ed population, and this was during the three point five years, and uh, that was a that was a lot of crunch to to have tried to get across. Um, but I love that idea and, and anything to get people who, who make those decisions actually, you know, know what those decisions actually mean would be great. Yeah. I, I think uh, shared storytelling is a much more powerful way to explore and learn about, uh, about an insurgency, about a civil war, about a revolution, which are, are, are intensely sort of human, driven affairs than is a computer simulation. Computer simulations are fantastic for tank battles because they can they can figure out all the math and the physics of what's mm -hmm. going to happen when that where's that tank round going to land? Is it going to penetrate the armor? All that kind of stuff. Great for 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 the the fight part of it, but but for the part of it as far as why why people make the decisions they do, why they support or don't support the various forces involved, why they hide or don't hide the surgeons, why they they will emplace IEDs for basically minimum wage, all that kind of stuff. Shared storytelling or role playing, you know, our our favorite hobby does a much better job of exploring it than than other medium, I think. And uh it's engaging, fun. People will actually do it uh, and, and perhaps learn from it. So th that's awesome. So the Kickstarter um, has ended and successfully. Yay! <laughs> Absolutely yay. Uh, and I saw you've you've got an Indiegogo uh, going as well right now. I do. Uh, it's it's just I think it's just five, like not all written out, but five capital E I N P lowercase S the initials of five E inspired by the national park. So Indiegogo project slash five E inspired by national park, but just the initials. Cool. Um, the Kickstarter page will just take you right there too. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you've, you've got five parks. If these are successful, we, we, we should see more hopefully. Yes. Um, and I'm looking for feedback eventually. So I'll, I'll make this and get feedback. You know, some of the feedback I got from the campaign is certain people just want the maps. So in mm -hmm. the middle of the campaign, I added that. And then some people are like, hey, the sort of drag and drop stuff is great. What I really want is an adventure. Um, and so I'm structuring this product a little bit more uh, as a short adventure. Um, and so, but anyway, I'll continue to get feedback from everyone, do some surveys, see what people want, and that'll impact the next campaign. So I guess what we didn't cover is, so you, we were talking about, so you, you're doing the five parks. So we, we talked about there's a battle map that will be coming for it. And, I, and you mentioned uh, voice acting for uh, box text. But what else is within the, you know, each park setup? So, so the basis of the park is that battle map. Now, because we funded, we didn't quite hit another stretch goal, but I got enough funding that I'm going to add a second little smaller map 
that's some sort of interior or underwater or underground space so that I can get, a, you know, I mean, it's easy in a small dungeon. It's easy to get five encounters in a large, a, a large uh, open natural setting. It's pretty much just one encounter. Um, so anyway, so right there with the main large outdoor map plus a smaller attached uh, underground or underwater related map. Now I'm up to a. Hey, I've got a potential for the short adventure, three to five encounters, um, plus definitely making writing in that campaign of learning, like they talked about, so that your plan and prepare is meaningful, and then at the end, the assess will be meaningful too. And it's not just the execution, but the 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 digital goodies that come with it are a one minute video. That just gives a an overview. They'll use uh, some of the the other assets. That I'll describe at least five real world pictures of the actual park. And the way the way I do this making the battle map is I sort of curate the the real world pictures and then give them to one day GM, who's the artist that's you know making it in Photoshop and all that, and and say okay here are the features from the real world from these photos check them out and build them into the battle map uh and if you look at the badlands prototype he, he, i mean he did a fantastic job of bringing in uh those and so that's how it really inspires that battle map um and so those, those five photos will come with it then there's also a point of view art so from one place that's in the encounter prominent in the battle map uh you know a drawing uh, by uh, his handles, I noodles, but uh, by noodles is the artist or I noodles I, uh, and so he's the artist that's that's uh, drawing the point of view art. You can see his sort of example work is the art that's the mainstay of my uh, Kickstarter page with the the Sinomian with the Badlands background, uh, and then he's also doing the monster art. So the next thing is there's five monsters that are with the that come with the park that have monster art stats and tokens um and i think that's pretty much it so so with that there's on the big battle map there's four encounters one at each tier so you'd only fight one of them but but i stat them for a tier one encounter tier two a tier three a tier four so whatever level party your campaign's in you you have minimum adjustment to do so that you can use it um and then with those that smaller underground or whatever it ends up being map there'll be a couple more encounters there too so so that's the main sort of uh i guess goodies that come with it if that answers your question joseph no that definitely does and i you know the the encounters the monsters that's just a the photo i mean it, it really does sound like you know folks who are who's who backed and uh you know those who wish to you know purchase now that you know they're, they're you can get i mean the maps are gorgeous i've seen the badlands map uh and i even i, I even contemplated uh, a point of, of seeing of volunteering in to 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 jump into the uh, play testing you had going on or the not i guess not play testing but the the groups you had running uh just live play that was going yeah, to it yeah unfortunately you know time time being what it is uh zero sum commodity <laughs> yeah um i i was you know but i've seen i've seen the maps you you posted and yeah it that I, so many places to ambush the characters i'm just saying 
And, and for every everyone listening, you can go to Kickstarter page, download the prototype. Uh, it comes with all the content I, I described. It's like a 22-page PDF, the, the battle map and all the variations, uh, eight voice acting clips, the movies, the monsters, all that kind of stuff. So download. That's free. Enjoy it. The final, These final products will be a little bit different from the prototype in that they'll be, uh, based on the feedback, I got more of a uh, an actual you know short short adventure, but uh, but yeah. And then the other thing is that that it's also the prototypes also on Shard Tabletop as a as a free uh, whatever totally free. So feel free to check that out too. I have to check out Shard. I mean, I, I've 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 got I've gotten used to using Roll Twenty, but it, uh, you're you're not the first I've heard mention Shard. I know like Shard and what's the other one Foundry that keeps getting uh suggested for for folks to give a try out to as well so yeah i so i came into really shard through kickstarter um i looked interesting i backed them on kickstarter and then i reached out to a number of the people on kickstarter i backed and said hey i'm doing my thing will you will you back me and how at shard tabletop i mean they're so friendly as far as that goes they you know made me a shard partner and and put a uh, 5e inspired by the national park page up on their website uh and really super uh kickstarter friendly and, and uh so that was that was very helping helpful and that's what got me into the into the shard tabletop thing um but you know years like for many many years i've been using rule 20 and i've definitely got a lot of content built up there and a lot of momentum going that's where my my family game is right now Cool. Well, I think John, we could probably talk with you for hours because there's. I want to pick your brain about the uh, you, all the stuff with you know your the, the rest of your the the basement war room stuff because uh, that I would like definitely would love to get you a, a deeper dive on that. But you know we need to be respectful of folks' time. Uh, yeah. So let's uh, shift gears, do some geek news. Geek news. <laughs> Who's got stuff? <laughs> I love it when Kayla does that. That's so adorable. <laughs> that is uh, my contribution to the show. It's more than that. <laughs> um, I have, I have a couple little things. If you don't mind me going first, do the Go things, ahead, Joe. Do the things. So, more information has come out about the Obi Wan Kenobi series that Disney Plus uh, is going to have out. Uh, first of all, uh, the uh, series should be starting uh, in April, the production. Uh, and the lineup uh, has the full lineup has been revealed. Uh, so we got Ewan McGregor returning as the titular Jedi Master, Obi Wan Kenobi. Yay. Uh, Hayden Christensen Key will point return. for using big words. <laughs> <laughs> and not giggling when I said titular. Yes. Uh, Hayden Christensen <laughs> returning as Darth Vader. Uh, the series will be directed by Deborah Chow, who has uh, helmed two episodes of The Mandalorian. Uh, but adding to the cast, uh, Moses Ingram from The Queen's Gambit has joined. Uh, Joel Edgerton uh, from Boy Erased. Uh, Bonnie Peace from The Vow. Uh, Kumal Nan. Nanjiani, uh, Eternals and Silicon Valley, and you you know who he is. Uh, 
Indira Varma of Game of Thrones. I think we covered her announcement as part of the cast uh, a couple weeks ago because uh, she played the consort of Pedro Pascal's Oberon. Uh, Rupert Friend from Homeland. Uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. from Straight Outta Compton. Sung Kang from F9. Simon Kessel from Reckoning. And Uncut Gems director Benny Safdie. Uh, and so the, are we going to just gloss over the fact that you, you you went over Joel Edgerton and Bonnie Peace and didn't mention the fact that they are already characters in Star Wars? I was going to get to that, <laughs> sir. Edgerton, Edgerton and Peace will be re, re, reprising their role as Owen and Baru Lars, which they played. Yay. Um, and uh, so the series is going to be set 10 years after the end of Revenge of the Sixth. Sith. Uh, so Obi-Wan, uh, you know, is, is now on, uh, Tatooine, uh, you know, stalking or, or, or monitoring from a distance, young, young Luke. Um, so it's, so this, uh, this would be pre-Rebels. Yeah. This feels like it's pre-Rebels. Well, if it's only 10 years, it's pre-Rebels. Yeah. So the empire is at its height then. Yeah. It is definitely mm-hmm. getting there. Um, and so. The yeah the the production starts this April. Uh, I was supposed to f- start filming earlier, but uh, they pushed back uh, due to the scripts. But according to Ewan McGregor, the scripts are excellent, and they just want them to be better. Uh, so, uh, Chow McGregor, Kathleen Kennedy, and Michelle Rejuan, and uh, writer uh, Joby Harold will be the executive producers. And uh, so that's this. And the full name of the show is Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's it. That's it. That's it's Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Yep. Uh, I'm okay. Probably maybe Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't know. They don't do Star Wars Mandalorian. It's just the Mandalorian. Just Mandalorian. This is true. Um, Mandalorian was fantastic. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We are all big fans. I, I, I hear that they're going to be filming in the same compound that they're filming Mandalorian. I, I heard remember. that, but I also heard also that they were in, uh, they were also doing shooting in uh, England. So, are they, they using would, the the thingy, the the volume? Yeah, that. That that's what I heard. <laughs> I could be wrong. It's happened before. <laughs> I mean, they got it. They might as well use it, right? Hey, if it works. And uh, it works. It definitely does work. Uh, so I know in our, our personal group, uh, I have shared uh, a, a science historian's TikTok concerning uh, Perseverance and its, uh, its, its uh, helicopter. Um, uh-oh. Okay, that was just Craig. Okay. Um, that the uh, a piece from uh, the Wright brothers' original flyer uh, was uh, affixed to it, um, and then she found out that uh, another piece of the Wrights, the Wright brothers' original flyer, uh, was also taken with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to the moon. So pretty cool. Yeah, that that's is cool. That's like. Is it the I, same piece? I, I don't believe it's the same piece. So I believe you, you mean that I, all I have to do is go to work for NASA and then I can go into the, the Air and Space Museum and, and start taking apart planes? Because if that's true, I, I'm down. 
Well, I mean, I, I don't know if it, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you have to do join NASA. I mean, if you join the Smithsonian, maybe you could do that too. My my sister uh, works at the National Portrait Gallery, and uh, and she actually put together the uh, the hundred year celebration of the Nineteenth Amendment for women for the uh, for the National Portrait Gallery. So that's Dr. Oh Caleb. wow! Geek yeah. point for your sister because that's fucking awesome. I was yeah. just gonna say that you get an honorary geek point for your sister. That is super freaking cool. But. But she's not allowed to take artifacts out of the out of any of the museums. So damn it! But she can, but she can get us back. She can get us behind the door, and we can do it ourselves. <laughs> but she can she can give you quite the the tour of the National Portrait Gallery for sure. I'm down. Field trip. Yay! Joe, make this <laughs> Joe, Joe, and John make this happen. Uh, field trip. <laughs> when the world is no longer on fire, add it to the list. Oh. Woo-hoo. The long and illustrious list. Yes. Yeah, there there are still closed, um, and I, it was interesting. You know, that's direction from on high, but but uh, I think well, th- the logic is when the Smithsonian opens up, that's a signal to lots of other things to open up, and that they want to still keep slow slow rolling that. So they're closed. We appreciate that. You know that, and that makes sense because. You know there are there are certain institutions that you can, you can kind of look to to be bellwethers. Uh, apparently, though, I, 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 I for some reason I thought Walt Disney World was one of those, but I was wrong. Nope, Disney World's gonna open. That yeah, it's a, not a government institution for sure. That is yeah. a <laughs> no. Um, I, I I say that the, the the greatest bellwether is can you play, can you pay a visit to somebody in the ICU? Then the world is okay again. True. Right. Well, yeah, that that is for sure. I my uh, daughter was born April last year, so right as COVID was going out, and uh, and we got through it. But but yeah, there's no visits. It was it was diff- definitely different. That's great. So could you be there for her birth or no? Yes, I could. Okay, okay. You just couldn't have any other visitors. Right, no grandmas, no, no, none of that. Which, which is, hey, fair game. I mean, everything we know about COVID and and older folks, um, right? But yeah, and and that was the the only thing that was difficult is is at the beginning the rules were in constant flux, and so you know every week leading up to the experiences, I can, I can't be there, can, I can't be there, but it worked out. I'm glad that it worked out for you. That would have absolutely sucked. I've thought about that a lot. Like I read a few articles where uh, in areas where there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot going on that even sometimes in birthing, they weren't letting anyone but like mama in. And oof, that's scary. Right. Uh, well, I think like Will said, the absolute toughest type situation is, um, hospice care and restricted access, you know, towards end of life and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was, that's, that's really tough. Yeah. Uh, and my last bit is more of, uh, the, uh, the, the trailer dropped last week for James Gunn, James, James, James Gunn's. Wow. That is a weird bit of, there's too many S's in there. English is uh, hard. hard. Yeah. <laughs> you owe me a Coke. Okay. Um, James Gunn's attempt at the Suicide Squad, uh, 
and the trailer dropped and i don't know about if folks who have seen it uh i think it is freaking weird it's weird but also really cool and they have shark king or king shark and uh you know uh and a cast of hundreds it feels like uh, so I expect that we'll see tons of actors that you recognize and maybe superhero or I don't want to call them superheroes, but uh, DC comics characters that you might know just getting dropped left and right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it uh, and the weirdest casting of a, of a character ever is John Cena. Yes, that's just odd casting. I mean, I always figured John Cena was actually was a comic book character. Well, he is, but you know. <laughs> but you know, it's it's. I, I didn't even realize he was in the trailer because I couldn't see him. Well, it's just you know. I'll show wearing, myself out. He's wearing a mask, and no, you don't get a geek point for that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I, I, that was totally a a very bad dad joke. That was. <laughs> Yes, it was. But, you know, you're allowed. Uh, he is, uh, I don't, they have still not have, a, I don't know if they've given the character a name, but here's the funny uh, bit of trivia I found out about the character that he's playing. You know who they originally intended to play the role? Oh, no, who? Dave Batista. That's Drax, Drax himself. Goodness gracious. Uh, so, so the, they also released the official synopsis for the uh, the movie. It's Welcome to Hell, aka Bell Reeve, the prison with the highest mortality rate in the U.S. of A., where the worst supervillains are kept and where they will do anything to get out, even join the super secret, super shady Task Force X. Today's do or die assignment: assemble a collection of cons, including Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Captain Boomerang. Ratcatcher 2, Savant, King Shark, Blackguard, Javelin, and everyone's favorite psycho, Harley Quinn. Then arm them, with, arm them heavily and drop them, literally, on the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Trekking through a jungle, teeming with militant adversaries and guerrilla forces at every turn, the squad is on a search-and-destroy mission with only Colonel Rick Flag on the ground to make them behave, and Amanda Waller's government techie in their ears tracking their every movement, and as always, one wrong move, and they're dead. Whether at the hands of their opponents, a teammate, or Waller herself. If anyone's laying down bets, the smart money is against them. All of them. Does Harley Quinn get to wear pants this time? From the trailer, it does look like she has not only has pants, but she also has a very large spear. Yay! So, my, my, my question is this. With, with the cast of dozens that they have, um... They they couldn't bring back anybody else from the from from the the first one other than Captain Boomerang. Is Harley else busy. Uh, they they have to bring back Harley because that that's like the keystone. Yeah, um, there, this there's is no true. movie without Harley Quinn. This is well, true. Um, I mean, there 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 isn't. There's no movie without Harley Quinn. Nobody will go. Yeah, yeah no, I, I I think part of it also was the we don't have you know we don't have the Will Smith money or, or want to do the Will Smith money to bring him back as Deadshot. Uh, but we're going to spend, we're going to spend the Will Smith money to get all of it, these other people. Well, yeah. Cause it's, it's one of those where you can either buy 
the really expensive steak or 15 boxes of steakums. I'll take the really <laughs> expensive steak. You give me that grade A Wagyu beef versus a steakum. I'll take the grade A Wagyu beef. I don't care that it's only about three inches wide. So we're just going to start calling like B-list superheroes steakums. Is that what we're doing now? Oh, God. <laughs> we are now. I love it. <laughs> I, we weren't I've been watching we are now. Star Girl. That's filled with steakum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe, you so, get a geek point for okay. that one. <laughs> Steakums is now going to become a, anything that is less than less than the ideal. <laughs> anything B-rated is now Steakums. Uh, and to the Steakum people, we are available for sponsorship. <laughs> Absolutely. Geekiespot at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, you get a geek point for the for the plug. For the plug, good job. For, for um, one, I'm just saying, you know, we, we, you won't offend us with cash. No, um, but we do get uh, in the in the trailer. You do get a glimpse of Peter Capaldi. Okay, uh, and he is uh, he is being he he will be playing the role of the Mad Thinker. Uh, you know, I really need to know more about the heroes in this this whole ensemble. Yeah. Uh, also, it appears that. Uh, they the, the reason why it is a cast of thousands is uh from from what i'm reading is team two is being sent to corto maltese to rescue team one because team one has somehow gotten stuck there right because this is that's believable perhaps they'll just have a very high mortality rate i, I also there you go it's gonna be a high mortality rate also jeez. Oh, also very cool in the trailer at the end, Starro, uh, for those, uh, Starro makes an appearance. And for those who are unfamiliar, Starro is a uh, giant starfish-esque alien creature uh, that was the original enemy that caused the founding of the Justice League. Wow, yeah. Hmm. Ah, that's a geek point for you. Okay. Um, we're going. We're going to uh, attempt to have a little crossover here. I don't know if it can't have a crossover, or this is just the goofier, goofiest enough property that you could bring in something like a giant starfish kaiju type monster. I can't wait uh, for the costume. And and I definitely, uh, I, I I definitely bring that the the kaiju reference because uh, in the trailer, uh, I believe you hear Harley yell, "We've got a freaking kaiju." Oh boy! So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that is that is coming out. Uh, I believe shortly, like in a couple months. All right. So, uh, is August it theater 6th. release? August sixth, and it's going to be a joint release. Yeah, joint ah, theater okay. slash HBO Max release. Cool, cool. So that's that's pretty much my stuff. Uh, what else have people got? I've got. Yes. Uh, a brief one here. So uh, back in the day, we talked about role playing in the 80s. I actually have on my bookshelf two copies of the Dungeoneer Survival's Guide uh, by Douglas Niles, also the Wilderness Survival Guide. And uh, I'm not sure how much I actually use any of the rules, you know, second edition, right, from that stuff. But it was super uh, inspirational. Yeah, uh, no, it's first edition. Oh, first edition, right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, 
because I I have those as well on my on my shelf. Yeah. So so I, I call it the Dungeoneer's uh, Survival's Guide remake, but it's not not really that. It's the Survivalist Guide to Spelunking for D and D Fifth Edition. Anyway, that's on Kickstarter now. But again, by Douglas Niles and. I don't know. I, I enjoy some of the remakes and uh, the nostalgia. Uh, it was definitely inspirational to think about the the Underdark back in the day looking at that thing. So that that's out. Oh, that's, that's cool. cool. That's definitely cool. Something that people can check out. I, I really am impressed with the stuff that's been coming out. You know, the, the whole Kickstarter thing and getting people, uh, you know, just people being able to create. Um, was it Goodman Games? I mean, I know they're a company, but they just put out like a reinterpretation of the original Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah, so they've got a series. Um, I've got the the first one of their series, and then I I, I couldn't keep up. But it's uh it's like classics reincarnated or something. I'll, I'll go yeah. grab it so I can say the real name. But uh, but yeah, so so they start out with like keep on the Borderlands, and they've been going through a whole bunch of these classic ones and now they're elemental evil but of course wizards officially redid that for 5e a bit ago yeah that was in the uh tales from the yawning portal oh well temple elemental evil became princes of the apocalypse that's right and then they uh they also then released uh tomb of horrors as part of the uh tales from the yawning portal what was the i can't i can never remember the name of the book and we were talking about it the other night at the game shop. Um, what was the name of the book that was like all the really dark shit that I think was third edition? Or Spark of Vile Darkness. Spark of Vile Darkness. And when I was, we were talking about if they were ever going to remake that. Ooh, that's I a... that's not the right era anymore. I don't know. <laughs> like, could you know, we even remake it these days? Well, I mean, they do reference it in the DMG. Um, and I believe in the like the artifacts and and legendary items. There's the Book of Isle Darkness and the Book of Exalted Deeds. Uh huh. Um, which was then the, the in third edition. And technically, I believe the Book of Exalted Deeds was the first product they made that was like compatible for 3.0, 3.5. But I remember right. I got I got the Book of Isle Darkness, and that was the first official D and D product that had a mature mature reader warning on it mm -hmm. on the cover. Yep. Yeah. It'd be Why interesting to see their audience. <laughs> None of us could actually be described as mature, but that's besides the point. Um but yeah, it would be interesting to see if they tried to to remake that that stays these days or if they even I don't know if they would even touch it right now. Probably not. I mean, I guess it really depends on uh the direction, the approach, how they, how they handled, um, how dark they got inside of it. That's really the, the question. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of its purpose. I mean, because like you know, the the lot of I know a lot of the hubbub was about, uh, you know, there was rules for drug use, uh, stuff coming demonic possession. Which, honestly, I think. People who were like that, that just seems like stuff that was uh, upsetting people from from the past. Uh, torture, ritual sacrifice. I could see some of those, um, you know, some of that stuff might still be a little have a little issue. 
Um, but then there are things like, you know, they had, uh, you know, of course they did, you know, spells and, and, and whatnot. And then they went through like the demon Lords and the arch devils, which we've already had done, uh, both in Morden Canaan's Tome of Foes. And then you had the demon Lords covered not only in Morden Canaan's Tome of Foes, but also in, uh, out of the abyss. I mean, and the Taldor, the, the campaign guide to Taldori, uh, Matt and James Hake, uh, did a whole coverage on like the various, uh, you know, illicit substances that you could do. I mean, I learned about Sued there before I ever saw Scanlan do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I mean, like, bits and pieces of it are scattered all over the place, you know? Yeah. And I'm just going to go ahead wonder... and say, take, take, take your geek point because, <laughs> dear God, you're throwing out names of books that haven't been released in, I, I don't know what, 20 years. <laughs> Take your geek point. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I, I just wonder, you know, for, so someone could probably do it. I just wonder if uh, in the in the big marketing, branding, whatever strategy for Wizards, if it if it would make any sense when they can get the content that helps in play in Morkane's Tome of Foes uh, and, and I guess focus more on the uh, branding the game as inclusive and friendly to all people and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Book of Vile Darkness just might not. Yeah, it, it's definitely not. That's You just reminded me where I was talking about it. I was talking to uh, a friend who was relatively new to the game who tends to be a bit, um, how do I put this nicely? Um, perpetually randy. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, take, take the geek point. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and he was asking about, you know, that sort of thing in game. And, and I was trying to explain to him that, you know, D&D kind of adopts the, uh, you know, pan to the curtains, fade to black towards approach towards or towards such things on the regular. Um, and that we do, we have addressed it in, in books past and Book of Vile Darkness was one of the things that I had I had come up with, you know, that I had referenced in talking about that. Um, but that that wasn't necessarily D&D's focus and it's definitely more family-oriented uh, uh, focus. And he was very upset that there was not a, uh, a book proper on such things. <laughs> it's just like, maybe someday they'll do it. Probably not right now. <laughs> the Bard's Guide to Life. <laughs> there we it's, go. It's all it real. That's all you really need to say. It's the Bard's Guide to Life. Everything that you could possibly know about charming, freaking everything into having sex with. <laughs> Scanlan's journal. Just be careful of the. Just be careful of the child support. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how we got onto that tangent. I digress. We're supposed to be in news. John, you had something you were looking up. Yeah, I, I failed to find it on the bookshelf because I'm disorganized right now. So that's, okay. that's the I way it goes. I believe you're right. It was the, I think it is the uh, classic. Oh, use Google now. <laughs> Google. Of, oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Google Goodman. Strong. Yes. Games. Uh, old school. Green. I could break in when I find it. Okay, here we go. So Into the Badlands, uh, which is the one I have, which is, is hiding. Uh, let's see what it's officially called. It is called Original Adventures Reincarnated. 
So original adventures reincarnated. They started out with B1 and B2 in Search of the Unknown and the Keep on the Borderlands. That's one I have. And they've gone through a whole bunch. Yeah. And now, now they're hitting. And I was surprised to see Elemental Temple of Evil because, as you said, Wizards already did that as uh, Prince of the Apocalypse. But but they'll probably be, you know, they'd literally reprint the 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 different versions. So, you know, B1 was published six different times. Oh, yeah. It's all in there, all six you know versions, um, which is interesting, but not exactly useful. I mean, I I just I pulled up the Goodman Games page for the original adventures, and yeah, they got B one. They've got Isle of Dread, which is one of my favorites. I I still have my from the copy uh, of that from the eighties. So. From the uh, from the blue box. Uh, yeah. Now I don't have the blue box anymore. That is long gone. But I have. Uh, <laughs> The, you know, no, no cover, just okay. the Isle of Dread, uh, physical, okay, you know, paper copy thing. But you know, it doesn't have a cover or anything on it. And so. the the that, that beautiful blue blue white uh, mapping. Uh, the the separate map is gone. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. I, I, you know what? I probably have that, and it's in storage. With but I think that was one else. of its. It's. Uh, innovation. So you know the thing that they did in, in uh, forgetting the name, but the idea that there's a version of the map with just the border filled in, and and mm-hmm. the inside was, I believe that was an innovation from that that module. Yeah, and that uh, was Tomb of, awesome. Tomb of Annihilation. They used that. Yep. They, yep. Yeah. Yep. God, I, I was surprised. Expeditions of Barrier Peaks. You want some uh, laser guns in your D and D? All right, so we should probably get back to the whole news. Will, Do you have anything? You Nothing else. Okay. Go, Will, go. All right, so it's actually now official. Uh, George R.R. R. Martin has signed a five-year deal with HBO and HBO Max. Oh, so you finish his books? About, uh, uh, you don't need to finish your books, apparently. Uh, all you have to do is sign a deal to... Uh, you know, do TV. Susan fucking he's finishing the books. I, I believe he was in TV, like script and writing, uh, yep. before he made it big as an author. So he has a yes. Background. He was the screen. He was one of the writers. Job. He was one of the writers for the Linda Hamilton, Ron Perlman, uh, Beauty and the Beast. And that is yeah. a key point for Joe. Yeah, Joe deserves it more for being that specific. <laughs> he's good at that. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I go for the deep cuts. You know, honestly, a I, I'm pretty happy about that because I love to see his brilliance back on something. But I think we will get to hold our breath forever if we're going to hold it for another book. Yeah, well, you're not going to have to wait for very much longer because he's got uh, he he's heading up uh, the new series House of the Dragon uh, based on his Fire and Blood book. Uh, that has a ten episode order already in the on on the books for HBO. Uh, Patty Constant, uh, Patty Constantine, Constantine, Olivia Cook, Matt Smith, and Emma D'Arcy have already joined onto the series with more of the cast to be announced shortly. Nice. Right. Um, so you've got that coming. I mean, that's that's a ten episode. Uh, 
order and got if it take if it happens the way that it happened before there will be plenty more to come yeah oh yeah but that's tv not not a book per se yeah Without that's also- okay I, I i i would actually prefer the tv to, to his books anyways i mean i think as long as uh you know the the game of thrones guys aren't doing it i'm fine Are you disappointed with game of thrones the end. The once once they got away from once they ran out of the material from from the the series uh, from the books. Yeah, I just it felt like everything was rushed, and with as much time as they were taking between seasons, it was like there there should be more. There should have been it should have been ooh, ooh good, and it was uh, okay. It's over. So basically, what you're saying is they 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 had they could run the show as long as they had uh, they they had a good script. Uh, screenplay to work on i mean but they the minute they, they had to write their own screenplay it went to shit yeah because yeah, yeah. that's exactly what happened because they don't know how to write a screenplay yeah no it was as as long as they had as long as they had really good source material to mine like these guys are probably really good at adapting material from other material um when it came to doing their own oof, not good Okay, well, we're gonna get some. We're gonna get some interesting stuff out of Martin on film, um, and hopefully, they've learned from learned from mistakes, and it will be better. That's very cool. And if if it's all about like early Targaryen stuff, and maybe showing us some of uh, some of old uh, Valeria, that would be awesome. That would be very cool. Yeah. So Russell Crowe has now um, been Uh-oh. announced that he is. In Thor, Love and Thunder. Okay. Ooh, I wonder what the role is. Um, nope, nobody knows yet. Um, this was originally supposed to be one of those. We're keeping this really, really quiet so that it's a nice little surprise. Until mm. Russell just couldn't stop hanging around the set and going all over town and having his picture taken. I'm just excited. I didn't realize they were already filming. I'm I'm very happy. I'm I'm looking forward to that show. Oh yeah, that 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 is very much in in film. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is back, reprising his role as the God of Thunder. Yay. Natalie Portman, Kristen Bale, who who will be playing the villain, has not been said yet. Uh the they do. Gore the God Butcher. Well, okay then. Take your geek point because I didn't know that. Um. Another person who is going to be in the film uh, is Matt Damon, who will be reprising his cameo from Ragnarok. <laughs> I don't remember what he did in Ragnarok. Uh, the the play in the beginning when when Thor returns to uh, Asgard, Matt Damon was the the act was was the actor playing Loki. Oh right! Oh my goodness. Um, okay. Yeah, it was very much a. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're. What are you doing here? Ragnarok is a weird film. It Very. was, but it was so much fun. Such uh, a different tone than Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So by the time that this episode drops, uh, Godzilla versus Kong will be out and available for all of us to go and watch in theaters and on HBO Max. 
Uh, I have a I have a piece that's relevant to that. That's cool. The director Adam Wingard, uh, and this is uh, an exclusive coming over from Deadline, um, has a new project. Uh, I think we have the same piece. We really we? need to communicate more. Well, ahead, that's what it. happens when I get late. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's okay. Say it. Thunder. Thunder. Thundercats. Thundercats. Oh, yep. yep. He's doing Thundercats. <laughs> I'm actually okay with this. I'm excited. I want okay, to see okay. what this actually happens. Please, <laughs> please give me details. Please, details. Don't just say they're doing a Thundercats. It's live action, animated. What are we doing? All right. So, grabby hands, grabby, grabby hands right now. <laughs> Settle down, mister. I'll make you wait till next week. <laughs> Chris, As you will. <laughs> as his new film Godzilla vs. Kong opens Wednesday in U.S. theaters and on HBO Max after turning up a Hollywood film pandemic record $123 million gross in 38 overseas markets blah 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 Adam Wingard is set to direct Thundercats that is a big scale feature based on an animated series that ran from 1985 to 1989 by Rankin Bass and several other iterations, comic books, and merchandise. The project has been developed by Rideback's Dan Lin and Vertigo's Roy Lee. Uh, they were producers on the Wingard-directed Death Note. Uh, there's an early script by David Cogsell. Winward, uh, Wingard will rewrite a script with Simon Barnett and will turn all of this into a hybrid CGI animation uh, it says this okay the series focuses on a group of cat-like humanoid aliens who live on the dying planet thundaria before they are forced to flee their homeland Hmm. so maybe this will pick up a little reboot live action i'm excited i'm okay with this yeah we, we've been waiting for Thundercats. We've been, all been shopping at the bits for Thundercats for a while now. So uh, I still so need to I go have... back and watch the animated series. The the newer one. The one that featured Matt Mercer? Yes. Just add another thing onto the list of shit that I gotta watch that I don't have enough time for. Way to go, <laughs> Kayla. <sighs> <laughs> so, here's a question for you guys. Uh-oh. If they decided that they wanted to make the Luke Skywalker TV show. Okay. Yes, yes that's the answer. Mark yes. Hamill wasn't in it? Yes. Mm. So say, say again, would it be okay if Mark Hamill is not in it? Right. Um, well, I'd rather it have, I mean, I think they did a great job with the CGI and all that kind of stuff in The Mandalorian, but I'd rather have a person and not, not, be a just a CGI show, if that makes yes. sense. Exactly, yeah. exactly. The, the reality of the situation is Marcus is getting up there. Well, the internet has spoken, and apparently, the person that they feel should take up the the the, the mantle of Luke Skywalker is Sebastian Stan. Yes, I have heard uh, this, and I'm okay with this. Mm-hmm. Well, Sebastian has heard all of this and has commented. Oh. And his response was, I'm down, but I want Mark Hamill to personally contact me to approve it. 
Oh, and I'm I'll okay with him. that too. Mad respect, respect for not picking Matt for 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 picking up that mantle, but wanting the approval of the original first. I'm okay with this. That is absolutely just mad respect, and that's the way it should be. The the actual quote is quote If Mark Hamill called me personally to tell me he feels inclined to share this role with me, then I would believe it. But until then, I won't, and I'm not. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Mr. Hamill, can we please get on the phone with Sebastian here? And uh, can, we, can, we get this, can we get this done, please? Thank you very much. Uh, Mark, Hamill re- uh, Mark, Mark Hamill has uh, tweeted to Sebastian Stan prior, um, going back and as far back as 2017. Uh, so this has been an ongoing Mark Hamill, Sebastian Stan, uh, Forgotten Love Child thing for a while now. <laughs> so what you're saying is we've got to get Kathleen Kennedy, John Favreau, Dave Filoni to yes. get this to happen, is what you're saying. Yes. This no, cannot what we're going to do is get that. them all into a room, lock the door, and say, this is going to happen. <laughs> right. Do it. Do it now. And then we have to figure out a way to get the hell out of there quick before security arrives <laughs> with their mouse badges. <laughs> I got I got a platinum I got a platinum annual pass. Doesn't that let me do that? Right? No. Kid, okay. Kidnap executives from Disney? No, I, I'm pretty sure that doesn't allow that. That that's that's the uh, that's a little What's bit it? higher level of pass before you can do that. Yeah, I, I just gotta say, I long to see more of uh, the Mandalorian's Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. and the Jedi Master, as opposed to the what, whatever he was in the movie at the end there. That was rough. Yeah, I, I want to see Skywalker in his prime. It's the one thing we haven't seen. We've seen him young, we've seen him old, we have not seen him in his prime. We have not seen him when he was training Jedi, when he was really doing what it is that he wanted and loved to do. And I really, really want to see that. Well, there could be a nifty little crossover with the Ahsoka show. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just yeah. thinking that they, they, they have a bad guy kind of in common in Thrawn. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and, and then I can be really, really happy because then I can get Mara Jade on screen and I'll be oh. happy. From your lips to the mouse's ears. Just saying, <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, John Favreau. If you're listening, make this happen. Just saying. Please. It, it could happen. We will support uh, it in every which way we can because we're geeks. Yes. So my last little bit of thing is um, since we, we're, we, we still can't really travel uh, and going to nifty places like the Louvre in France <laughs> is not a thing right now. Um, but the renowned French Museum has said that uh, they understand, and they're going to put their full display, their full collection on display online for viewers all over the world to look at from the comfort of your own home. That is awesome. Nice. Uh, the online database features more than 480,000 works of categorized art within the museum's eight eight curatorial departments from paintings to sculptures textiles jewelry and more uh art enthusiasts will be able to admire such works as the famous mona lisa and the venus de milo online each piece of art 
exhibited virtually will include details like technique, date, and place of production along with its history. You can view, uh, you can browse through the museum's interactive map to tour the museum by room or just search for a piece by their collection, which I would much rather go by the room. That's just wander through? Oh, man. You know how they keep pushing that VR technology stuff? Uh-huh. This. Yes. Uh, sorry, I want a Johnny Mnemonic plug my brain into the internet. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay to, be able, to be able to visit those kind of places, just... There's, there's a... That and oh. you know, stream your TV directly into your brain. Yeah, that would just create zombies. We would people would die. It would be bad. Humans are not ready for this. <laughs> and that's all I got. I got some fun stuff this week. <laughs> and Kayla and I yet again share news because we don't <laughs> because we, we communicate suck. for shit and we have similar tastes and interests. It's fine. Um, okay, so I got like bits and pieces of little cool stuff. Um, what have I got? Uh, so Netflix, The Witcher prequel series. Uh, the Witcher I Blood like Origins. Every word you just said. Right? <laughs> uh, it's called The Witcher Blood Origin. And they have cast a, a, a lead actor, um, Irish actor Lawrence O'Farian of Viking. Wait, don't they already have a Witcher? This is prequel. So this is like a, one of the other leads besides. The, uh, but the this character's is like twenty six years old. How much? How much what, what is he going to be in the, in the diapers? The baby. This is actually <laughs> yeah. This is kind of how it happens. Uh, is is the description here? Uh, anyway, Lawrence O'Farian, uh, Vikings, Game of Thrones, Black Forty Five, uh, is set to play the role of Fial. Fjall was born into a clan of warriors sworn to protect a king. He carries a deep scar within the depths of a loved one who fell in battle trying to save him. A scar that won't let him settle or make peace with himself or the world around him. In his quest for redemption, Fjall will find himself fighting beside the most unlikely of allies as he carves a path of vengeance across the continent in turmoil. Uh, Fial joins the previous cast member, cast Jody Turner Smith, who plays Ellie, uh, an elite warrior blessed with the voice of a goddess who has left her clan uh, and position as the queen's guard to follow her heart as a nomadic musician. Because we all want to leave the church to join a rock band. Um, the upcoming prequel series is set 1,200 years before the world of The Witcher. And it will tell the story of the creation of the first prototype Witcher and the events that lead to the pivotal conjunction of the spears. What spheres? Words. This is hard. I know. When the world of monsters, men, and elves merge to become one. The six episode series is being executive produced by Lauren Schmidt. I'm going to fuck up this name. Hisrich who created the original Witcher series. Uh, then there's Declan Debar, who will be act as the showrunner and executive producer. Uh, and Adrazej Sapkowski will serve as a creative consultant. Uh, 
so that's that's all the information I have on it so far. Um, there's no release date yet, but there's going to be a prequel, and it looks pretty freaking cool. Six episodes. That makes me sad face. I know it's not much, but that usually means that they're putting a lot into the episodes. So I'm kind of hoping that they really keep up the production quality. And I'm, I will sacrifice a uh, number of episodes. Yes, thank you. Exactly. Uh, and, and have a good, a good quality show. So I'm excited to see what they do. That sounds pretty cool. Um, and if anybody's wondering, uh, please look up Lauren O'Farian. F-U-A-R-A-I-N. I probably pronounced it wrong. Dutat. Um, and has incre- like his credits are ridiculous. Like, yeah, no, I feel he's... like long hair bearded guys. Ex- uh, hello, go look in the mirror. <laughs> oh, <thank you. laughs> so, so I like it how fantasy realms never get out of uh, out of the Iron Age. Like, hey, let's right? fight with swords for twelve hundred years. Yes, it's more. It's an elegant weapon for more civilized age. <laughs> So that's a geek point. <laughs> um, okay, so that's so that's that. That's fun. Um, then we have, and and this is kind of a one of my little personal love sort of things. Um, I am a huge fan of the Disney Gargoyles series. Yes. Um, if if any of you out there in podcast land have not watched it, I highly recommend it. It is on Disney Plus. It is amazing. It, it it was made 100 years ago, and it is still incredible. Um, so NCNA announces awesome new line of Gargoyles action figures. So I have the original Gargoyles action figures, and I, I absolutely adore them. Uh, this, and they revealed Goliath, of course, because we know we want to know what Goliath looks like. Uh, holy cow. It is. I'm just Jesus. This is like McFarlane quality, really, really beautiful piece. Um, I, I just he's he's gorgeous. He's very well articulated. Um, it looks got, it even got abs for days. Like ridiculous. Like just I mean, muscles and abs and hoses for veins and just he's. Like a, he's a freaking gargoyle. The interesting part is that it looks like there are two different versions. Uh, one of which has kind of uh Goliath's scary growly face, and one of which that has his more contemplated, you know, I'm a sexy gargoyle face. Maybe uh, like there, there is a thing, um, lately, like. I think we we talked about when they released the uh, Dritz uh, action figures that he had like two hands and four sets of or two two heads and like four sets of hands. Yeah, that that might be what they're doing is he has like two different heads and and so forth. Um, There's one he actually he comes with a book. He comes with a book because Goliath reads. Yes, yeah. He uh, the figure features full chicken. Full articulation, including on wings and tail, comes with plenty of accessories, wings, jalapeno pepper, book, and interchangeable heads and hands. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, I just happened to see a little thing on it, and I, I grabbed it really quick. So, yeah, he is absolutely gorgeous. If you're into the gargoyles, please go check him out. Um, and I can't wait for them to reveal the rest of the creatures, because if he looks this good, 
the rest of them are going to be amazing and I'm very excited and I now have something to put on my Christmas list. So All there's I that. that if the, 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 the Xanatos figure doesn't look like Jonathan Frakes, I, I, I I'm out. It. Yep, totally out. Also, uh, fuck. But we don't know how far they're going. They they did not say, or at least in this article, uh, they did not say how many they are doing, if they are just doing the gargoyles, or if they are doing uh, all the other creatures uh, as well. So we shall see as production rolls out on that. Um, fun little thing. Uh, all of us are around the right age to remember the Wonder Years. <laughs> what? Would you do if I sang <laughs> Yes, that Wonder Years. Um, I have a I have a love for the Wonder Years. Oh my um, god! <laughs> uh, Can't imagine is, why. Right? Because um, what's her name? Winnie. Uh, <laughs> reboots. They are rebooting the Wonder Years at ABC. Uh, and why? I don't know. Because they can. Uh, uh, and jo- and John. Don, Don, Joe, pronounce this last name for me. Sh- is it Shadell? Is uh, it Rody? The guy that plays Rody. Cheadle. Cheadle. Thank you. Don Cheadle is going to be playing the narrator for the reboot. You know so, what? I did read about this. Mm-hmm. John Cheadle has joined the cast of ABC's room re reimagining of the classic TV series The Wonder Years. He will play the adult version mm-hmm. of the lead character. Uh, who will narrate the series as he looks back on the wonder years of his life growing up in the 1960s and 70s. So, we shall see how that goes. It looks interesting. Uh, I thought that it was cool that he was the one that was going to be narrating it. My screen just went weird. There we go. Uh, Uh, I hate to say it, but I give it a one and done. We shall see. Yeah. But then network television these days, that's... uh... Yeah, no, it seems like a losing proposition anymore. Put it on a mm. streaming service. Um, the series is being written by Saladin Patterson and directed by original series star Fred Savage, uh, who is also producing. The Wonder Years reboot is set in the same era as the original. Uh, it looks at how the Williamses, a black middle-class family in, Mont- in Montgomery, Alabama, in the in the turbulent late 1960s, made sure it was the Wonder Years for them, too. So that's the spin on it. Um, and that's pretty cool. It should be fun. And the fact that Fred Savage is on board. Yeah, the fact that Fred Savage is on board is pretty cool. He's uh, directing and producing. I was going to go for a joke that, you know, I heard the original narrator is going to be uh, Terrence Howard, but then they went with Don Cheadle, but that seems kind of mean. I don't know if that's, I don't know if I should give you a geek point for that. <laughs> um, anywho. training for everybody is all Joe's fault. Yep, it's all Joe's fault. I just, I'm just saying, watched, we watched <laughs> Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 recently. We did. We did. And... <sighs> You're terrible. I love you, but you're terrible. Okay. Um, so uh, this is this is a fun little uh, uh, campy thing going on, but it looks really cute. Um, I, being a, a voluptuous woman, a plus size woman, if you will, uh, very often look in news for things that make that fun. Uh, and there's a new movie coming out called Thunder Force. Uh, it stars Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer and Jason Bateman. Uh, in a world where supervillains are commonplace, 
two estranged childhood best friends reunite after one derives a treatment that gives them powers to protect their city. Uh, it looks it looks a little campy, um, but it also looks really super cute. And the fact that they are bringing uh, female who superheroes who are curvy uh, to the forefront makes me very happy. Uh, and I also really love Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. So this should be an incredible just the 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 energy between the two of them. Um, I've seen them do little stuff before is, is absolutely hysterical. Uh, and they're both really incredible dynamic women. Uh, so I wanted to just kind of give a shout out to that. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it and giving a review on it. Cause it looks really cute. I believe that's coming out uh, April 9th. Yep. On uh, Amazon prime. Oh, Netflix. Oh, it's on Netflix too. Mm-hmm. This only says prime here. Okay, cool. All righty. Uh, yeah, so that's it. Just a couple of little little fun things. Yeah, those are great. Yep, yep. All right. So big board. Have no the... idea. Have no idea who could be the the geekiest. Who could this week. possibly be the geekiest this week? John, sir, you. This episode are declared the geekiest with eleven points, and we probably could have given even more. Are you all uh, are too kind? <laughs> <laughs> we had such fun. Joe came in second with uh, seven points. Uh, Will behind him with a respectable five, and uh, me bringing in the rear with with one. I probably missed you, a couple you, along you the way there. At least three. Okay, so we'll say four. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but John is definitely the geekiest this week. So, John, being that you're the geekiest, it's your right, privilege, honor, and responsibility to uh, let people know where they can find you and your stuff online so they can, you know, follow along, purchase, so if, subscribe if, to newsletters, whatever. Yeah. So, thank you, team. Again, I think you are all too kind and generous, but I, I really appreciate it. And just being uh, being invited on the show, it's been a, been a ton of fun. On the... You mentioned that then sort of the Sun Tzu and Thucydides ponders Afghanistan. I've got a little bit on the basementwarroom.com that you can check out there. There's also an old Kickstarter thing for it that you can take a look at. And from the Kickstarter, and you'll easily find it, Thucydides ponders Afghanistan. Just put it in there. Um, you can find the course if you're interested in that. And then on the more recent and uh, uh, fun fantasy stuff, either the Kickstarter or Indiegogo 5e inspired by the national parks. You'll, you'll find it on there. And then my main uh, focus that I put most of my effort to is the Facebook group. Uh, Joseph, I believe you're a member there and that's uh, yeah. So it's, I think it's simply again, if, if uh, it's national, it's actually went backwards or shorter on Facebook. Some reasons national parks, 5e, but again, if you just do 5e inspired by national parks, you'll find it. And the basement war room is also on Facebook. Excellent. And as always, we will be putting uh, links to that in the show notes. Second place. Second place is Joe. Okay. So you, if you're looking, what? Do you want to go second? Sure. I'll go second. Okay. Uh, so if you're looking for me on the internet, you can find me on Twitter at Demorgus, D-E-M-O-R-G-U-S. Uh, if you are looking for this podcast, 
social medias. Just look whichever one you're at and go to the Geekiest Pod. You'll find us there. Um, I'm also the DM of the Not Safe for Wizards 5th Edition Actual Play Podcast. Um, and hey, this week, we're going to get as much as a cast together and we're going to discuss the episode that happened that released last week where I tormented all of the players with their dreams. Nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, on Tuesdays, you can find me at the our, our, our thrifty, our thrift shop, which Kayla will tell you more about later. Um, and hey, would you like some geek, uh, geekiest podcast merchandise? Go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash the geekiest pod. We've got the five-headed logo. We've got hashtag geek point merch. So go there, get your stuff. A little sad that nobody took part in the hashtag geek point giveaway for our 5,000th actual play, but we'll come up with something better and probably promote it a lot better than we did, but that's where we're at. Also, side note, uh, I'll have a link in the show notes, but please keep, uh, you know, if you're thinking about doing uh, purchasing for uh, helping the Adventure Game Store, uh, the legacy of our, our our dear departed friend Brian Dalrymple. Please make sure uh, either go to uh, adventuregamestore.com and purchase the Daring Do magazines there, or go to patreon.com, Adventure Game Society, and uh, get the Daring Do uh, zine there. Uh, everything that's spent on that helps keep the Adventure Game Society Cafe open uh, and helps keep uh, the legacy of Brian Dalrymple alive. So, hey, well, where can they find you online? Oh, they can find me on the Instagram and the Twitter at Yes with Kayla. Yes, sir. All right. Where can everybody find you? Everywhere. Uh, okay, so you can find me on Twitter at Hawk underscore Kayla. You can find me on Instagram at Geekiest Kayla. Uh, you can find uh, our fun little geeky witchy thrift shop. Uh, if you're in the downtown Davie, Florida area, you can catch us at 4148 Davie Road. If not, you can catch us online at secondhandgoddess.net, where you can find all sorts of things to purchase as well as merch. Uh, you can find me playing Jade on the aforementioned Not Safe for Wizards D&D 5th Edition Actual Play podcast. Uh, and I have a TikTok. I'm not doing much with it, but if you want to check out Secondhand Goddess on TikTok, you can do that as well. Um, maybe give me suggestions as to what you would like to see on there, because I'm I'm not sure what people want to see. Um, but that's that's it. So uh, we are a year into the pandemic, uh, and hey, wouldn't you like to be able to go to the Smithsonian and see all the cool stuff at the Smithsonian? Uh, Comic Con. Go to Comic Con. Uh, be able to have Jen. What? The national parks. Yes. National parks. Go to Gen Con without having to, you know, really rush to get tickets because it's going to be limited. You know, do all the things that we love to do. Uh, well, we've told you to do what you do. Follow the CDC guidelines. You know, six foot distancing. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. As Pete would say, don't be a dick. Um. You know, the, the quicker we all get on board, and if you can get vaccinated, go get vaccinated. Um, the quicker we yeah, all was, get. What? I was surprised uh, the VA is doing all vets right now. 
So they awesome. they made it through all the I guess their high risk categories, and it's open for all vets. So if if you're in the VA system, uh, drop them a line. Excellent, excellent news there. So, uh, and and from what I'm hearing, if you have friends or family that uh, are pharmacists and whatnot, reach out to them because uh, I've heard from a number of people who you know they get through the, the the appointments through the day, and then they end up with some batches that they, you know have been waiting, have been prepared to use, but aren't able to be prepared. And because of some of the storage requirements, they can't restore. So do what you can to get the vaccine within legal limits. Um, and uh, so we can get this under control. Uh, and as always, uh, this podcast believes that Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, and love is love. We appreciate you listening this week. We look forward to talking to you next week. Leave the world a better place and you found it, kids. Hey there, listener. Before we get out of here, just want to uh, ask you to do us a little favor, um, two little favors. One, if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review there. Five stars would be great, but hey, we're leaving that up to you. And second would be share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you think would enjoy a deep dive into geek culture. Uh, that would definitely help us. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Armored Bear Productions.